Hello to everybody who's listening to this uh, podcast. I'm speaking to Jonathan Fothergill, who's Senior Specialist Valuation and Investment Advisor at RSCS. Uh, Jonathan's going to say a few words about himself in a, in a moment and uh, explain why he's here today to talk about this interesting subject, which is the issues faced by expert witnesses and the courts. My name is Martin Burns. I'm Head of ADR Research and Development at RSCS. And uh, the reason I'm here is that um, in my 32-year career at RICS, I've been involved in all aspects where Charter Spheres have been working in the areas of dispute resolution. And that includes the role of expert witness. And um, I was involved in the early days of setting up the RICS Expert Witness Accreditation Training, which Jonathan has just completed. And I also sit on uh, the working party that has developed the RICS Guidance for expert witnesses and uh, have occasionally been involved in helping to deliver some of the training for expert witnesses, part of the course that Jonathan's just been on. So Jonathan, maybe if you just say a few words about yourself and then we could uh, talk about this really interesting subject, which is not just about the role of expert witnesses, but really about you know some of the developments that we've seen in recent times that are putting the spotlight, if you like, on the role of expert witnesses, you know, how the courts have, in some cases, made some very interesting commentary about expert witness. Not all charter spheres, of course, but Mm -hmm. in some cases they have been. So, Jonathan, Mm -hmm. who are you? Hello, Martin. Thanks for your invitation to to join the discussion. It's expert witness is a really interesting um, area of work for me. By way of introduction, I'm a general practice surveyor. I'm a fellow of DRICS, and as you mentioned, I've recently qualified via DRS as a as a registered independent expert. My background and experience is in investment brokerage, valuation, and development consultancy, and I've spent the majority of my career overseas, based in the Middle East and, and Central and Eastern Europe. As you mentioned, I'm currently employed by RICS within the Valuation and Investment Advisory Team, which is part of the Standards Department. So in terms of my interest in expert witness, I gained experience in this area, what was based in in the Middle East, and I assisted in expert witness cases, predominantly in in the areas of, of valuation assisting my my colleagues in in those cases and I decided to supplement my practical experience with with the RICS qualification recently so I attended the uh, RICS expert witness course not sure if I'm allowed to give it a plug here but I I found it really pretty invaluable Uh, it helped supplement my practical experience with with some of the important practical aspects of expert witness work in, in particular how to prepare a report and how how to behave when being cross-examined and so on so that that was all very useful so so that's my own background and an interest in in this area of work martin i, I think you're very entitled to, to plug that course one of the, the things <laughs> that i think we'll be getting on to during the course of this conversation is about the importance and indeed relevance of training charter spheres and other professionals in the, the role and duties of 
actually discharging the role of expert witness. But first of all, I, I think a really good starting point is to get to grips with what is an expert witness, you know, because the main question I suppose one could ask to, to draw a distinction is what is the difference between an expert witness and any other witness in the quarter of the proceedings? Yeah, I think just to start off by saying that expert witnesses play a critical role in, in the judicial process. In simple terms, my understanding of an expert witness is is a person engaged to give an opinion based on knowledge, experience and expertise. So the role of an expert witness is essentially to help the tribunal to understand technical and specialist issues that may be outside the tribunal's personal sphere of knowledge. So the purpose ultimately is to enable the tribunal to reach an informed decision on a matter. You mentioned witnesses of fact, and and they're also commonly used in the judicial process, and they essentially establish the facts of the case and and they can say what they saw with their own eyes and what they heard with, with their own ears. For example, he was staggering about, he smelt of whiskey. An expert witness goes to the next level. He, can in, he or she can interpret the facts and provide his or her opinion. For example, he was drunk. So this is what I understand myself to be a distinguishment. That really is the distinction, isn't it? That a witness in, in court of the proceedings is usually somebody who would give the court the benefit of something they've seen, something that's actually happened, something that's demonstrably uh, within their knowledge. That you know, so for, I think your your example of the you know the the person walking down the street, swaying all over the place, is a fact. But unless you're a doctor or somebody else who has the expertise to understand whether that person is drunk or not, you can't say they were drunk. You could just say, you know, they're just yeah. walking like that. And I think um, that yeah. that is an important distinction. It's it's interesting and. I remember somebody when I was training as a barrister who told me the distinction between an expert witness and a witness of fact is that a witness of fact can't give an opinion as part of their mm-hmm. testimony. Mm-hmm. They only can give you the facts, the stuff they know. Whereas an expert yeah. witness is somebody who can give an opinion and that opinion draws on their knowledge and expertise. They're, they are experts. And I think that's the, that's the, the real crucial yes. thing, isn't it? And again, you yes. made a very important yeah. distinction here as well as that. There would be situations where the court is dealing with technical matters and, you know, from your experience, mm-hmm. valuation perhaps. And, and judges are, yeah. are, are well versed in the law, but not always versed in the issues around valuation. So they need to understand mm-hmm. issues around valuation mm-hmm. in order to make an informed decision on the dispute. And that can be helped mm-hmm. when somebody like yourself, who is an expert in that subject, can help the court, help the judge by giving their opinions, giving their uh, expertise and handing it over to the judge so that the judge can understand the issue better, can't understand it perhaps as well as you yes. might, but can understand it better and therefore make an informed decision. But that's a long way, isn't it, from actually telling the judge the answer to the question uh, or advocating on behalf of the client. Y- yes. The, the expert witness has to be impartial, and you know straight down the line and providing a balanced view on 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 all issues asked of asked of him or her 
so in that case, then who who can be an expert witness in court? Well, I, I think there's no hard hard and fast rules that dictate who can serve as a, as an expert witness. An expert witness can be anyone with knowledge or experience of a particular field or discipline. Beyond that, to be expected of a layman. So ultimately, there must be a practitioner with sufficient experience in their speciality, and I'd consider that to be typically 10 to 15 years relevant experience, and also to be able to give a reliable and informed opinion to the court. I think there's a few characteristics that you need to exhibit to to be a good expert witness. You need to be honest, professional, truthful in your opinion, and importantly, to to be impartial in, in, in the process. Just on a few further points, an expert witness may be qualified by skill and experience as well as professional qualifications. So it's not all necessarily about qualifications, it's about experience as well. You don't necessarily need to be the best in the field. I'm aware from a previous case that the test is the standard of the ordinary competent practitioner exercising ordinary professional skill. So you don't necessarily need to be the most senior or have the most awards in in your area of work. You certainly need to keep up to date and know your business now and, and previously. And importantly, you need to be independent. You, you need to stick to the area of your practice and, and know the relevant areas of law. Just as a final point, perhaps, I think being a member of a professional organization, and I'm going to give RICS a plug here, I think that adds and, and can give credibility to, to an expert witness because it shows that you're taking the role seriously by signing up to a set of standards of behavior and incompetence and, and you're undertaking regular CPD and so on. So I hope that answers your question. I I, I think there's no hard or fast rules, but I, I think these are some characteristics that I, I think help define what what's a good expert witness. So what I'm hearing from you, Jonathan, is that um, an expert witness in the first instance needs to be credible. And that credibility yes. can come through qualifications, can come through experience. And that experience, and you, you mentioned some like 10 to 15 years experience, which is a benchmark, but not one I think that's necessarily set in, in rules or, no. or, or law. No. But, you know, anyone with 15 years experience as evaluation surveyor, you would imagine has some semblance of knowledge that would help the court understand valuation. Interesting from the point of view as a, as a lawyer, I was trained and qualified as a lawyer. If I was uh, in a situation where uh, I was questioning uh, in court an expert witness who had been instructed, shall we say, by the other side, then my first tactic as part of an overall strategy would be to undermine as far as I can that person's yes. credibility. I think that brings home the yes. importance of having mm. credible experts. So, you know, the first thing I'd be looking at is why is this person qualified to give this evidence? Is there anything, any loophole I can find mm-hmm. here? Or that they've been qualified yeah. three years as evaluation surveyor. There's something I'd go for. Yeah. But it does mean that it's important that if any surveyors listen to this or either acting as expert witness or thinking of acting as expert witnesses in the future, they need to be confident 
that in terms of expertise, they are an expert. They are sufficiently qualified, mm-hmm. experienced, knowledgeable to give evidence. So, and again, in a court situation, what you have is that a barrister in the first instance, as part of your instructing party, would get you to tell a story and probe mm-hmm. your expertise in order to help the judge understand the issues. The barrister for the other side will try to undermine that. And the first thing they'll go for is your credibility as an expert. So just remember that as an yeah. expert, that if you're going to do this job, be confident you've got the, the qualifications, the, the, the criteria and everything to go with it. It kind of then brings us on to a, a, a very interesting subject. And probably what prompted this podcast in the first place, it's about pitfalls because we're not talking mm. about the credibility of expert witnesses in the sense that they're all easily shot at because they're not. Most expert witnesses in courts provide a valuable service to the courts and other tribunals. But we have mm-hmm. come across situations, haven't we, and uh, where there have been experts who have, should we say, fallen into the traps. So can you tell me maybe about some of the pitfalls that those who act as expert witnesses should should avoid, try to avoid at least. Yeah, I think you certainly need to be careful when you're acting as an expert witness and be mindful that ultimately you're you're not immune to being sued. And recent case law, uh, the, the case of Jones and Caney in 2011, set that precedent for expert witnesses to, to effectively be, be sued. Sued for what? Sued for negligence for acting in in the process or for you know for being providing negligent opinions can, can we just dwell on that that that's a really important case isn't it because it was a supreme court decision wasn't it yes it it, it was a landmark decision i, I think it rev- the, the facts of the case revolved around a, a personal injury case but it was a, a landmark ruling the day after that judgment just to remind people of this, and it's uh, Jones and Caney, Caney with a K. The day mm. after that, I must have had about 30 calls from charter surveyors who were all in a bit <laughs> of a panic because up until that point, <laughs> charter surveyors and other expert witnesses generally were immune from suit. They couldn't be mm-hmm. sued in negligence. Just to make a point of fact here is also, it still remains the case that they can't be sued in defamation. So they can say what they like as long as they're mm-hmm. not negligent. But they couldn't be sued in negligence. And what we had here was a, an expert who had performed uh, so badly, putting it bluntly, that the court decided yeah. that it wouldn't serve justice to allow them to get away with it. Uh, and in that mm-hmm. case, what they effectively did is they um, they provided a report in court that wasn't theirs. It was somebody else had written it. And they had no idea mm-hmm. about most of the contents until they started being uh, questioned on it. But it was hugely important case because it removed the uh, immunity from liability and negligence and as i say i had about 30 calls that day from charter stories what 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 are we going to do you know are, are we going to be sued and i thought well unless you're negligent the answer to that has got to be no but what it also prompted was a discussion within rcs they said well hang on a minute what this suggests is that there are people perhaps who are taking on this role as expert witness who shouldn't be doing that and it's not so much as they are not experts in their subject field, their area. It's that they mm-hmm. don't really understand what their duties and obligations are in that role as an expert witness. 
So there's two levels yeah. of expertise here. There's one as being an expert in your subject area, and in your case, valuation. But there's also, yeah. you need to be an expert in giving evidence. And this person clearly wasn't. Uh, and it was mm -hmm. from that, you know, that we started to look at developing the RSS expert witness accreditation, which effectively is a badge, which demonstrates that somebody actually has been through a training and assessment and accreditation program, which demonstrably shows that they understand their rules, that how to apply the rules that relate to giving evidence to a tribunal in court, uh, their duties to the court, uh, their duty, you, you quite clearly have pointed out, to be impartial. Uh, and yes. That's, that's immensely important because, yeah. of course, you're instructed by a party, but in the court situation, mm -hmm. your duty is to who? It's to the tribunal. To the tribunal, of course. E even yes. if you're getting paid, yeah. dare I say, shed loads of money yes. by the party, your primary duty of care and obligation is to the tribunal. And we might um, sort of probe that a little bit further in a moment or two. Yeah, I mean, just, just to go back to some of the pitfalls that expert witnesses should should typically look to avoid. I mean, we, we've talked in the, in the conversations so far about the importance to be impartial. So it's it's obviously key that expert witnesses take care to avoid unconscious bias or, or being perceived as a hired gun. Um, so what's and, unconscious and blatantly, bias? Um, it's basically, it's a good question, but it, it's, it's showing bias but pretending not to, in effect. Trying to act all professional and be straight down the line, but doing that in a clever way that favours one of the sides? Or, or could it be also, in addition to that, not simply just being biased deliberately, but really not thinking about what it is that you're saying uh, and thinking, well, this person has paid my fee here, and that unconsciously yes. you're kind of swaying towards them. So uh, you, you'll say the evidence is around evaluation and you're acting for a landlord mm -hmm. To be swayed towards the yes. higher end of the the, yes. the rental figure simply because you're yeah. you're yeah. you're being instructed by the landlord. That that's perhaps a, a little loose, yeah. but evidence of unconscious bias, not deliberate, not meant to to mislead or anyway, but you're just slipping into mm. that kind of mode, and you need to be very. Yeah. And it's so difficult, isn't it? So difficult to it to is keep that in mind. It, it is yes. As you've stated, Martin, you need to have sufficient expertise, which is relevant to the case. If if you don't, you'll quickly be found out in in what's quite an adversarial process in in the cross examination, and obviously as part of the process, you need to put together a detailed report. So, as a starting point, you need to have sufficient expertise in in the subject matter. That that that's quite obvious. As part of the impartiality that we've talked about, conflicts of interest, uh, you, you need to be very careful and inform the parties up front of any potential conflict of interest. And, and, and as, as you've alluded to previously, you, you can't have a, a financial interest in, in the outcome of a case. That's a, a no-no. I think that's worth going Go ahead with a bit more detail of the financial interest. Because all this comes down to this overarching word I'm going to use in a moment, which is honesty as well. 
But um, yes, the conflict of interest. Um, the, the, there are all sorts of pitfalls I think surveyors and experts could fall into in relation to conflicts of interest. And I think the the point you just made there was a very good one, which is that you shouldn't be seen to be having an interest in the outcome. I think perhaps mm-hmm. one of the ways that could happen is relating to how you're paid. So where I'm going with this is that if you're a valuation surveyor and you're giving evidence, you're going to be paid if the judgment is in favor of your client and you won't get paid or you get paid less if the other side wins. That gives you an interest in the outcome. Mm. It's a tip contingency fee arrangement, CFA. That's a dangerous place to be. That's where you shouldn't really want to be because, again, a barrister is going to question you because you have to be impartial, as you say, and if a barrister finds that mm. you're on a fee arrangement, that means that you're going to get more money the more the client who's instructed you gets mm. out of the case then that's going to undermine mm. your evidence, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. Probably so put you in trouble with the RSS you certainly well. need. Yes, so success-related, performance-related fees, a big no-no in, in, in this area. You need to make all relevant information clear to the court, even if that doesn't support your client's case. You, you need to disclose all of the facts, be they good or bad. You can't cherry-pick the evidence that you're providing to the court. You, as, as an expert witness, you need to give an all-rounded view. So um, if, I'm a, if I'm a client and I've, instru- I've instructed you and I say to you, oh, you know, for goodness sake, don't tell the court this because if you do, it's going to really give my case a, a very difficult time. How, how mm. would you deal with that? Well, you, you've, you've got to take... a a view on that and decide if that's really a key piece of information that needs to be disclosed in in the case or not. If it is, and it's within your area of expertise, then I I think you're, you know, you've been misleading by by not disclosing it, regardless of, of, of what your client's telling you. And I think it possibly needs a conversation with the client as to what your role is who your duty of care is too, and, and bottoming that out quite early on in the process. That's a very good answer, and it's the right answer. <laughs> Certainly, the uh, <laughs> good <laughs> to me to catch you on the hop there. But that, that's precisely what you should do, isn't it? Uh, you, you really mm. need to have that conversation with the clients, and part of that conversation with the client needs to explain what your duty is. You know, and that your duty here is to, to mm-hmm. be to inform the court not to advocate mm-hmm. the case on behalf of the client. They'll have other people doing mm-hmm. that for them. And this thing about making relevant information clear to the, to the court, it goes beyond that, doesn't it? Because it's not just telling the court matters within your knowledge and experience, some of which may be not in your client's interest. But it's also remembering that this court, this tribunal, this judge, or an arbitrator or whatever, is somebody who doesn't understand the subject as well as you. So you need to be able to get that information across to them in a way they understand it. That means you, your report your report has to be one which is clear, understandable, in plain English. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I read, I read an yes. expert witness report once in a planning and development matter, and um, it was so full of acronyms, I had no idea yeah. what, what they were saying to, to the court or judge. So I don't know how the yes. judge dealt with that. 
But of course, that could undermine <laughs> your, your clients or your instructor clients' case because you're not helping the court, and the court can't understand your client's yeah. case because you're not giving mm-hmm. the court information in a way that the court can interpret and understand. That's right. You, you've really got to speak very clearly and very concisely, and, and using very plain English, both in your report and uh, and when you're being cross-examined. That that's, I think that's a key uh, characteristic that that, that a, a good expert witness um, exhibits. What happens? Do you think if you're acting as an expert witness and one of the the barristers, whether the barrister for the instructing party or the barrister the other side, starts asking you questions and you, you're going outside your familiar territory. You're on the peripheral. You're moving away from mm. your, your comfort zone in terms of knowledge and experience. Is that a mm. pitfall that you think experts can and sometimes do fall into? Uh, they can certainly be lured into the trap. And uh, given that it's such an adversarial process, cross-examining barristers will use it and fully exploit that. But it, it's absolutely crucial that you stick to your guns with with your area of knowledge and expertise and that you decline to answer questions that are on the periphery of that or not related to your knowledge at all. It, it, it's a common tactic used to undermine, but... Uh, I think as an expert witness, you've got to be very clear and, and upfront about that with, with the court or tribunal and, and stick to your guns with, with what you know. Yeah. <clears throat> I, th- I think the rule of thumb I would say is don't guess. You know, if, if somebody's don't asking guess. you a question, yeah. if somebody's asking you a question and you don't know the answer to it, and it, that means it's, it's probably falling outside your, your area of expertise. Think about it. Is this a question that's for, that is within your expertise? If it mm-hmm. is, then you're entitled to provide an opinion. But of course, if it's something you're not wholly comfortable with, it has to be a qualified opinion. But think yes. also, are they asking you something which is really not relevant in the sense of the matter of expertise on which you've been asked to give testimony? And if that's the case, you need to be yeah. very clear, well, I'm sorry, that's something that's not within yeah. my area of expertise and I can't give an opinion. There's a fine line sometimes there, though, isn't there? Yes, it, the, the, it is, and, and I'm sure any cross-examining barrister will will exploit that. But you, you have to be very clear, you know, with, with your area of expertise and black and white with, with, with that almost. So the courts have on occasion, and we, you and I know this, being uh, critical mm. of expert witnesses. And I have to say, mm. it's not just mm-hmm. charter spares, but there have been charter spares who have been at uh, the receiving end of judicial criticism. So what type of issues then have really been highlighted by judicial cri- criticism? And importantly, what, what do you think can be done about it? Yeah, you're right. There's been a lot of criticism about expert witnesses of late, and I picked up on a, on a few quotes from, from some of the judges in, in some quite prominent cases. Judge Claire Evans recently said there are plenty of not very good experts around. Some soy distance experts are worse. They are not very good. They do great harm. Soy distance. I'm not familiar with, I think it's possibly a Latin term, but... Kind of a self-importance. 
I think it's indicating an arrogant expert witness, possibly, who turns up and thinks he or she knows it all and ultimately gets a good dressing down by the judge. In another case, Mr Justice Marcus said, it's incumbent on the expert not merely to present evidence that is technically correct, but that makes a fair representation of the expert's opinion. If the expert does not do that, then criticism is likely to follow. That's about getting off the fence, isn't it? In some ways, I, yes. I've seen I've seen this happen where you know some people have turned up at a tribunal as experts, and they're giving testimony, but they're too worried about giving a, a personal view, and that's what they're there for. They're there to mm. give their personal mm. view, their expertise, and that means giving an opinion. And it may be opinion, so I don't know, but really what the judge is looking for and what the tribunal is looking for is for that expert to say, in my opinion, 51-49 that way or that way, You know, as long as they're helping the mm-hmm. court to, to come to a conclusion. And it doesn't help a court if you're not doing that, if you're just sitting on the fence. The court no. wants you because they want your opinion. Yeah, it's what you're there for. So... Um... Just moving on from that, I mean, Lord Judge has recently offered his own observation on what the court expects of a competent expert witness. And and as you'd expect, an important requirement is independence and impartiality. Whilst this may seem obvious, uh, he felt it was concerning that in a 2019 survey, 25% of expert witnesses had felt pressurized to change their report in a way that damaged their impartiality. 41% indicated that they'd come across other expert witnesses that they'd considered to be a hired gun. Uh, so that, that that's quite concerning in, in itself in, in respect of the key requirement to be impartial. Um, he, he expects that expert evidence must be just that. It must be expert and Obviously, judges will will have their own opinions of what's expert evidence and and, and what's not. Importantly, it seems that the judges expect that expert witnesses must continually critically examine their own work and opinions. So I suppose nothing's set in stone and new evidence can come to light from the other side. And it's the expert witness's role to, to be agile and open-minded to that. So, so judges are, are very keen to see that in, in, in the courts. Finally, the judges expect an expert witness, as you'd expect, to take ownership. Lord Hodge has stressed that it was imperative that expert witnesses take full responsibility throughout the process of preparing and presenting his or her opinion evidence. So not making any cop-outs, not sitting on the fence, as, as you've mentioned, Martin. Sounds to me, Jonathan, uh, one of the qualifications you need to be an expert witness, and bearing in mind everything you've just said there, is, is confidence. The confidence yes. that doesn't necessarily mean you're the hired gun, and we've talked about hired gun. For those who don't know what hired mm. gun is, it's essentially the expert witness who is, ends up being the advocate for the client's case, the, the one who's there to put their client's best yeah. case forward and try to persuade the judge to find in favour of the client. That's not what an expert witness is there for. But this 
stuff you're talking about in terms of examining your own opinion. First thing I can mm. say is that in Jones and Caney, the expert didn't do that there. Otherwise, he would have known <laughs> that, that. Because you know, here's the funny thing. What happened there is that, that the barrister, I think, was reading from the expert witness report. And the expert witness, mm. she said, um, I didn't say that. I don't believe that. And that's, that's when it came to out that it wasn't her report. Somebody else had written it. It wasn't her opinion at all. It was someone else's. So exam- mm. examine the work, examine the, the report you're preparing in court, make sure it is your opinion, make sure you agree with it, make sure it covers the, the, the salient points on which you've been asked to, to give evidence. But this thing you've also referred to, I think is hugely important. This You talked about being agile, agility. Mm. I think part of that also goes to being prepared to moderate your position. Because you're there in court, you're yeah. listening to the stuff as well. You're, as an expert, you're learning all the time. And you could learn during the course of a case matters that you hadn't realized before. And that for that reason, you need to be agile to the point where you would be prepared to change your position and allow the court to understand why you've done that. And that comes with confidence as well, don't you think? Yeah, I think it does. But at the this, at, at this same time, you can't, the, the court's going to find it strange if you make a complete U-turn. If you start out on, on one road and halfway into the case, you suddenly deviate from that and make a complete U-turn. And I think your credibility and reputation is at risk in those circumstances. But likewise, if, if new evidence comes to light from the other side, then you, you can't disregard it. You need to consider it and take a view on if that changes you know, the path that you've trodden to date. Yeah. Absolutely agree with all of that. After Jones and Caney, Iris has got very much involved in looking at what we can do to help charter surveyors to understand and be able to discharge mm. the role of expert witness. And this is where the expert witness accreditation came out. And we also, of course, have developed fresh guidance. The, the guidance is a mix. It's, a, it's guidance of this is best practice, but there's also within there mandatory things that people have to be cognizant of if they're going to act as expert witnesses. I have to confess, I have talked to a couple of people who have acted as expert witnesses who either didn't know about the RSS guidance and practice statement, or they just simply didn't read it. I I think it's hugely important to be aware that there is this guidance, also that there is this ability uh, to undertake formal training. Do you think Mm. formal training is necessary? Personally, I'm very much of the opinion, having undertaken the course, I've benefited hugely from it. And I now have the view that I feel specialist training and qualification should be mandatory in this area. As you mentioned at the start of our conversation, there's obviously a couple of requisites for any good expert witnesses. You, You need to have that high level of subject matter and expertise. But at the same time, you need to have the ability to discharge the role of an expert witness effectively and in accordance with the judicial rules. And you need to understand, you need to be taught, or as a starting point, you need to learn about those aspects. And uh, technical knowledge on its own isn't enough. So to a certain extent, you need to be taught how to write a good expert witness report. You need to learn and have experience of being cross-examined uh, and to, to be able to cope with that. So 
as, as I quickly saw from from the the RICS accredited course, it, it provided great knowledge and, and ex experience in in these practical areas, which helped to supplement your your existing subject matter knowledge. So I I, I do think personally that uh, training in this area, given that it's such an important role in the judicial process, I, I feel that it should be mandatory almost. You won't be surprised to hear me say I agree with you absolutely entirely. You know, I, I have talked to people who have taken on the role of expert witness and found themselves in, in, in deep trouble for a whole range of mm. reasons because they, they thought that I think the mere fact that they were an expert in the subject was sufficient. Uh, and that piece of Latin that you used earlier, might be French, I don't know, probably the, the arrogant of some yes. people who I turn up in court because I know more about this subject than anybody else. That's fine. But you also need to understand the rules of the courts, your obligations to the court, how to give evidence. Mm -hmm. You need to prepare properly. And yeah. that includes understanding and, and really getting it to grips with the matters that require your testimony. You know, answer the question mm. being asked, not the one you think should have been asked. Yeah. So don't go on a frolic. Uh, don't go outside your own mm. knowledge and expertise and start telling stories. Make sure your, your report and your evidence is yours and not somebody else's. Again, drawing on experience, and I'm sorry if I keep doing this, but uh, I remember coming across a case where somebody said, I'm happy acting as an expert witness because all I ever do is write reports. I'm never ever going to end up in court. And <laughs> two weeks later, they were, they were called to give evidence based on their testimony. Giving evidence in court mm. in front of a judge where you've got barristers on both sides is a hairy experience. You mm. know, you've been through the, 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 the mill on this. Yes. And the, the, it can be, and I'll use this word advisedly, brutal. It can be brutal. Yeah. And you need to be able to understand, well, how can I deal with that? How can I deal with the barrister who, first of all, is trying to undermine my credibility in terms of qualifications, but is also now trying to undermine mm. the credibility of the evidence I've been given. And is doing so using mm. a tactic where he's just asking closed questions all of the time. Uh, yeah. that pushes me into yes. a corner, which is uh, a well-known tactic at the bar. Mm. Don't give uh, mm. the, the the witness too much room to manoeuvre. Don't ask open questions. Close questions. Uh, how do I deal with all yeah. of that? And I think, you know, we've talked about it also. Don't advocate your instructing party's case. You know, that's somebody else's job. Don't withhold yeah. relevant information simply because it's going yes. to damage the, the instructing party's case. Answer mm -hmm. the questions you've been asked. Answer clearly and succinctly. You can tell I'm reading from notes key. here, can't you? I, I put some notes together as well. Um, it's key. It is key because you've got to remember that your, your verbal and your written evidence is intended to help the tribunal understand your area of expertise. You will know your area of expertise inside and out. And sometimes yeah. that's very difficult yeah. because you, you could fall into jargon, you can fall into acronyms, you could forget to start at the beginning and start at the middle. Whether somebody needs some background before they can actually grasp what it is that you're telling them. And we, we've talked also about the, the honesty and integrity of experts is, is paramount. Is there any question? No, I think we're, we're getting close to the end of time here on this. Is there any questions you want to ask me? And I'll do whatever expert witness who should do. I'll just say I don't know. 
Have, have, have you acted frequently yourself in the past as, a, as an expert witness? Do you, do you have substantial experience as a practicing expert witness? No, but I've seen many expert witnesses. I, I trained and qualified as a, as a lawyer, as a barrister, and also my job is very much about working with arbitrators, independent experts, and adjudicators. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I get to see a mm-hmm. lot of the, this. And for my sins, uh, I've been involved in this area for 32 years but no, nope, I've never practiced an expert witness. I've been in court and given evidence a few times, and that's been fun. But I've mm-hmm. never held myself up in those situations as being an expert in a particular subject. That's always been important to make that point when I've been given evidence. Mm. What's your view about the process? Because from my own experience, it can be quite brutal. As you say, it can be quite adversarial. There's been recent innovations such as hot tubbing, which removes the need for brutal cross-examination. What's your your own personal views about the process and how it could be improved? Oh, I knew knew you were going to go in this area. Yeah, (laughs) there has been criticism, I think, of the, the use of expert witnesses simply because it can cause confusion with a judge if you've got expert witnesses and employed by one side, expert witness employed by another side, and barristers for both sides yeah. are trying to undermine those the testimony of each other's expert witnesses. Yes. Uh, for those who listen yeah. to this who, who haven't heard the expression hot tubbing before, I, 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 did, I worked out in Australia for a short while and I saw this actually in courts in Australia, but mm-hmm. it's used more often yeah. than here. And hot tubbing is essentially where mm-hmm. rather than the barristers examine the experts, the judge does. So mm. the judge would call the barristers, yes. uh, the, the experts, yeah. to, to the, the bench and would ask them each to uh, give an account uh, on the particular subject which the judge mm. is, uh, is interested in learning more about and then engage in a discussion. And that discussion can be a discussion where mm. the judge is asking each one questions and getting the other to respond to those questions or asking the experts to do what you and I are just doing, have a conversation. And the judge learns from that. And I, I actually think it's a it's a good way of doing things it uh, it can save time barristers don't like it because they're sitting in the back <laughs> doing nothing while all of this is happening yes. but it has its good points at the same time i and you said this right at the outset i think jonathan that the role mm. of expert witnesses oh. is and perhaps will remain for a long time a hugely important thing to the judicial system in uh, in the courts yeah. in the uk and, and elsewhere mm-hmm I've enjoyed this conversation. I think um, it, it's been useful. We've, we've touched on some very important points. If people want to know more, I think, about the the role of expert witness, then you know, do get in touch with RSS. The RSS Dispute Resolution Service has the, uh, the links to the guidance and the practice statements on this. And indeed, if anybody's mm-hmm. also interested in any of the sort of training programs that we talked about, feel free to get in touch with us as well at uh, rss.org. It just remains for me to say, Jonathan, thanks very much for your time. I know you you enjoyed that training course. Uh, I could tell from the way you've answered some of my questions as well, but you, you've definitely been on the course. So, thanks very much, Martin. Yeah, it's been it's been fun, and uh, yeah, c- certainly recommend the course as, as mentioned. It, it's been great. And on that, uh, thank you everybody else for listening. <laughs>